0: Welcome to the new automation mindset where AI automation and integration come together. Successful automation is so much more than technology, it's a mindset. On this podcast, we're here to learn about this mindset from innovative leaders who actually practice it every single day. From Fortune 500 companies to the boldest startups, these leaders have reduced cost, crafted experience, and fueled growth with automation they have transformed their companies and their careers. I'm your host, Marcus Zern, and as chief strategy officer and part of the founding executive team at Workado, it is my mission to find these top innovators in AI automation and integration and share their journeys with all of you. You may notice that this show matches the title of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling book The New Automation Mindset by our Mercado CEO Vijay Tella. You'll hear references to the key ideas of this book, the growth, process, and scale mindsets throughout the show. If you'd like to explore them further, be sure to check out the book in hard copy or on Kindle. Oh. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Rama Akiraju, the Vice President of AI and ML for IT at NVIDIA. Rama is a big part of the AI journey. Before joining NVIDIA, she was the CTO of IBM Watson AI Operations Product She spent many years in AI research at IBM, was deeply involved in Watson, and Rama has co-authored over 100 technical papers, received over 50 patents, and is constantly on top leaders in AI lists that includes Forbes and Fortune magazine. Rama brings to us a wealth of insight into AI, and I couldn't imagine anyone more illustrious to talk about AI and automation today. All right so let's uh, let, let's let's kick this off I mean so you uh, co-authored like hundreds of uh, technical papers I have you've have patents in that space I mean the uh I think I saw 2022 uh, uh, you were named the USA Industry Innovator of the Year by the Women in AI organization so that's that's awesome I what what I would love to hear from you about is you know how do you see that changed in 2023
1: Yes, of course. Uh, the world has not been the same since uh, ChatGPT got released. So much happening, although the, the the large language models have been around before and people have been working with them and such. It's really a watershed moment in uh, AI where uh, many use cases that were on the fringes are now suddenly possible to do with AI, especially in the world of uh, deriving insights from unstructured data. So uh, not just uh, here at NVIDIA where I have the role of enterprise AI and automation, basically applying AI and automation to transform our own NVIDIA processes, but everywhere in every company imaginable, there are projects that companies have spun up to figure out how to leverage this generative AI technologies and how to use large language models and uh, the multi-model language models to transform business processes um, and their industries. So the world has not been the same, and the pace at which things are happening is also mind-boggling. Suddenly, you see new developments happening every day, be it in uh, you know in the open source domain or you know companies uh, um, building the next big uh, you know billion parameter model trained with trillions of tokens, or um, in uh, uh, in high performance compute the chips that are getting released from Nvidia itself for powering the accelerated compute. so the pace at which innovation is happening has also significantly increased, so a lot happening in in the um, presently and in especially in the past one year I would say.
0: Yeah, it's kind of, you know, I was on a panel last week uh, and, you know, people were talking about 2023 and doing more with less. And, you know, my comment was like, look, uh, really this year, there's really only one thing I can think about. It's like when, when I see my 15-year-old uh, son uh, basically go to uh, ChatGPT and type in the, uh, you know, basically his his biology essay that he has to write and then 10 seconds later you get something out where you know we both looked at each other and said like you know you can't submit that because nobody would believe you can do that right <laughs> then i think that's that's i mean that is the uh, the absolute doing more with with less like uh, how can i mean this is crazy what's uh, just happened what, what what do you think is the is the 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 big um uh, uh, change that happened. It seems to me like, you know, before you always had to train these models. You know, you had to be a data scientist. You, I mean, you had to be quite involved with the data. And now, uh, now this is kind of falling away. It seems like it's all pre-trained. It's, it, 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 somehow we're going through some democratization moment. Would, would oh, you agree?
1: Absolutely. So these these foundational models are so good at multitasking and, mm-hmm. uh, and also are so good at uh, processing multiple types of data, not just unstructured text data, but um, uh, are able to take in and generate images and video and audio and all, all sorts of things, right? So that completely changed the game. And also, as you correctly noted, the, this um, notion of uh, democratization, right? Where the data scientists were needed for pretty much manipulating and working with any of these models before now, all you need is somebody, an engineer who knows how to make an API call, at least to get started for the domain. And, and if you are using the likes of ChatGPT, GPT-4, or those models that are whose foundational models are trained with large enough amounts of data that are, you know, multitasking well, you probably can get started with those APIs right away for many use cases in the enterprise, and only go to customization with your own data and fine-tuning and all of that for special use cases or specific sort of situations, even there, for customizations these days, you can leverage the APIs that these large language models themselves are making available. So it absolutely is, again, another um, big, big watershed moment where Democratization is here. Citizen development is here, and anybody who has an idea of how they can leverage these models for their use cases can just get started with it.
0: All right. No, this is this is how we feel. So, I want to actually take you back into your past a little bit. So, you you might be surprised because you know I was researching for uh, uh, for this conversation, and uh, so I found an article that you co-published in 2005 dynamic workflow composition using markov decision processes i'm not sure if you remember you know it's been it's it's been a while and then obviously you uh, you also worked on whistles at some point you know uh, enriching like whistles in in terms of semantic information and so on um and so here here's the reason why right so at workado we're we're kind of in that space between automation and ai um we're an automation platform. I mean, a lot of this workflow is is, is what we do, um, and now it's about infusing these workflows with AI services, and so it's this kind of uh, playing together of AI and and workflow that uh, that's really interesting to us. There is uh, there's a Harvard Business Review article out there from one of the uh, You know, early people who were about BPR, business process redesign, all the way to the 90s, Tom Davenport. And he says, like, you know, AI is really helping BPR to reemerge as as, as a really important kind of thing. I I wonder, how how do you think about this? How do you think about AI and workflows, business processes? You know, they could be in IT, they, they could be in finance, they could be a supply chain um i think the article back then was actually a supply chain example if i if i remember correctly uh from 2005 H- how do you see that uh what 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 do you think will happen here with ai and process
1: yeah so just since you started that uh, the historic moment i just wanted to kind of connect <laughs> the dots from the work that we were doing there and as a community we were doing back then to where we are you know back in the days when service oriented architecture was very uh, popular and is was on the rise, where you had to, basically, it was about, you know, breaking these monolithic systems, software systems into more modular, service-based uh, architectures and uh, service-based, uh, API-based solutions, where you de- declaratively specify what the interface of your applications is, and then you try to either do a manual integration using web services, description language types of things, or take those, you know, s- semantic, d- descriptions of applications interfaces and say can we automatically uh, map the interfaces of uh, you know business applications that need to be integrated so that that was the the context in which you know we were doing that work for semantic annotations for web services description language which was a w3c standard uh, we we put in at that time and got accepted and the dynamic composition was the, the idea followed by that where we, you know everybody if if their their applications are modular and apis are available and their their um, apis input and output descriptions are declaratively made available in some sort of an enterprise repositories then you can dynamically compose applications and and then you know using different techniques for composing applications and supply chain and you know uh, basically business um, applications uh, BPM space right so that was uh, that was the state of the art back then. Come to present day times, you know how has how can we really kind of envision the same of you know a business application integration in in business process world using LLMs. Um, you know if you look at uh, current LangChain uh, type of frameworks that have come about, um, you can orchestrate various different applications and their and their um, integrations through these LANG chain flows, if you will, and you can visually using LANG flow types of frameworks actually drag and drop and build your your interfaces, integrations and such. And, um, you know, that kind of reminds me actually of uh, an analogy with Yahoo Pipes from back in the days, right, when uh, mashups were also attempted. For application integration. But what has changed? Well, some things have changed, some things still are more or less the same, right? Some things, what, what has changed is, uh, um, you know, the the there are lots of, lot more, um, I would say, standardized orchestration platforms now in the market upon which you can more readily get integrations that you want, pre-built integrations and such. And these are automations that are pre-built and such you can bring those into your, into your um, environment and your ecosystem and automate things faster uh, and build things faster. When it comes to application interfaces and and uh, schema matching and those types of things, I think LLMs can play an important role.
0: You know, what we wanted to do with Workado was really to build something like that, but uh, much more democratized you know much more visual much more uh, able to have business people the operations people also understand it and be part of uh, of this journey and it's kind of cool to see what has come across i mean you know again i was reading your paper back then and uh, at the same time i was talking to one of our guys and he built a a demo around security orchestration so think about like a a security analyst in it who has today's, let's say, phishing attempt is happening, and then they have to do certain—they call it investigations, like certain research—and then based on you know what they find out, they then take certain actions, you know, by, be it uh, you know deleting email or or blocking a firewall, or what it might what it might be. Um, so he actually used uh, Workado recipes, where which is these these automation flows, these visual democratized automation flows, and. Instead of creating a procedural description of what needs to happen, <clears throat> he basically just described um, the tasks that need to be need to happen, and then he actually described as the prompt to to GPT what almost like the job description of a security analyst, and lo and behold, GPT actually picked the right things to do. It picked the right sequence of steps to take. It uh, it never took an action without doing investigations. It actually fed the right parameters into these subfunctions, so it it almost like orchestrated dynamically uh, the process. And it it blew my mind what uh, what might be ahead of us. I don't know if that makes sense. I think maybe maybe it brings you back to to your days there.
1: It makes sense. Yes, I, I I know we've been playing around with the LLMs for several of such use cases in IT operations management use cases similar to security operations and some to some extent on the security operations, exactly for that phishing and spamming use cases. My our sibling team in SecOps, um, and um, yes, you can you can go a long way by by leveraging it. It's just uh, by means of. Sheer brute force with the amount of data and examples that these large language models have seen, they are able to suggest really very good first drafts of actionable, you know, workflows. And um, I would still recommend that you know somebody verifies them, validates them. But uh, really, as with anything, you know, with the first draft, saves so much time, effort, and, and more importantly, going back to that. Citizen development and empowering everybody to be at the same level of proficiency that uh, um, that previously was only limited to a few experts. Right, everybody had to depend on those experts to figure out what to do. But here, everybody can can get uh, a good first draft and and uh, just validate it, verify it with experts. But you know, you, more people can can. Do those tasks now, not just a limited set of experts in an enterprise.
0: No, perfect, perfect. So I have one question that's been uh, near and dear to my heart, and I've I was just given given your expertise and your long experience in this in this in this area. I'm just be curious what you think about it. So we have an advisory an advisor on our advisory board, uh, Scott Brinker. He's actually um, you know really an expert in in marketing technology. But what's interesting is really about data. So he he has written an article that's out there, and he says, like, look, everybody's always talking about big data. Uh, he said like, people should really talk about big operations because what's the point of having the data when you don't do anything about it? So he makes the point that you have to action on the data, which brings me to the point which my feeling is just talking to customers, talking to other IT uh, people out there, I think we have a lot of data, and often with business systems and so on, there's a lot more data there than is used in IT processes today. I have a feeling that Gen AI, because it makes that data so accessible, will kind of get us, hopefully, to use even more of the data. Maybe, maybe sometimes even not with Gen AI. Maybe just you know with SQL queries or you know just making it part of a of a process. What? What do you think? Do you you think there's a new movement to uh, um, to leverage AI? uh, Sorry, to leverage data uh, better out there.
1: Yeah, many many types of data that we weren't able to really get to before in an Mm -hmm. enterprise, such as uh, um, take unstructured data that's in various enterprise knowledge documents. Suddenly now, we can do a much better job of answering questions or. Finding information from those unstructured knowledge articles using generative AI-based, you know, chatbots or conversational virtual assistants. While chatbots and virtual assistants have been there before, the the way we had to make them work was kind of laborious, right? You have to write these dialogue flows, you have to teach them and train them to really understand the the intents and entities, and, and it was an in, involved process. While there are tools in the market and and all that, but generative AI-based uh, Chatbots are much simpler to build. You don't have to do all of that kind of stuff. So unstructured data, we can tap into it. We can even get to inside the PDF documents into the tables and, and all of that, right? So that one category of data, the 80% of enterprises' data, which was not much tapped into before, is now possible to be you know analyzed and, uh, and you can derive insights from it. So that's one kind. Then there is... A whole lot of content from various systems in, in an enterprise, right, which are to do with their health metrics, the logs, the events, the, the traces, which tell you what's happening, be it in IT operations or in security operations, you know, whether, uh, you know, an insider or an outsider threat is, uh, you know, uh, happening. Um, and you start to see the patterns in of logs and sign-ins and all of those things are starting to look different only if you tap into them and you're able to make sense of them and derive insights from them right and um, and these these sets of data metrics logs events and traces have been somewhat of uh you know kind of uh you know those types of uh data people have done only i would say a half-baked job so far that's because of the number of reasons one is uh some of them are structured fairly structured like the metric data and they are you can you can use more statistical traditional machine learning types of techniques but some of them like logs uh, events and traces tend to be more semi-structured and mm-hmm. they also are in, are in large volumes and that makes it also much uh, more, much more difficult to to derive insights from them so there have been products and tools you know i would say doing pretty good job with anomaly detection models um, for 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 processing this data, but n- but n- they couldn't explain why uh, certain things were anomalies. They'll just find out this pattern has changed. Um, with LLMs, what you can do is now really go deep into getting those insights for better incident diagnosis, because you can if you if there's an anomaly that's predicted with a more traditional anomaly detection system, you can now say okay. Anomaly happened between these this period and this period, or at least the system noticed um uh, that anomalous pattern during this period. Now you can feed those logs and really start to ask more detailed questions in an interactive manner. So you you're suddenly starting to see so many co-pilots emerging in the space of mm-hmm. you know incident management, be it in operations domain or security domain and such powered by LLMs. Uh, similarly, you, you know, you if you have um played around with some of these things you know there are co-pilots for code generation co-pilots for doing code reviews co-pilots for drafting your first draft of emails given as title of your subject of your uh, email Um, you know i've been playing around with um, uh, uh, ms365 outlook um, uh, co-pilots and and you know, in in you know, you know various office suite products. Now, suddenly, you have that ability to uh, give your prompts uh, and generate text and generate uh, PowerPoint slides, with temp- good templates, and uh, you know the the number of things that you can do in and the number of data sources that you can reach out and get derive insights of Now, suddenly, has exploded. You can pretty much touch all aspects of enterprise data and start to get derive uh, start to derive insights from that data. Earlier, it used to be the case that it was mostly, you know, data that was well organized in your database tables or you know your data warehouses or uh, and such to which you have written very uh, you know with nice contracts with SQLs um, dashboards and and you could get access and insights only on that. And if you wanted a new uh, a report, you would have to ask somebody who knew how to write those SQL queries and create that report for you. But now with conversational virtual assistants, you can imagine uh, even getting into structured data and create dynamically creating text to SQL kind of things and executing them if you're comfortable. And, you know, if you build that into your workflow, build an automation out of it and even create ad hoc reports and get to structured data in a conversational manner. So, the number of use cases have explored, explored, exploded, and the number of the kinds of da- the types of data sources that you're able to get to in an enterprise. Pretty much now, everything is is accessible in some shape or form.
0: That's it's fascinating. So I'm I'm not sure you know, but you know, so I've been. You know, I've been part of the founding team of forcado of and it's now almost nine years mm. that we started the company. But my last job before that, I was actually the head of product at Splunk. And so the IT operations domain and the log management and so on, that's something that uh, definitely is part of my my experience. And it's mm. uh, it's fascinating what's, uh, what's possible there. I mean, we have some... I mean, people typically think of Workado. When they think of Workado, they think of business applications, like an order-to-cash process or maybe some kind of a customer or employee onboarding process or something. Um, but we're very much used in within IT as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, um, one of the early customers, uh, Hans, he was the, the head of site reliability at Coupa. And so he basically got his... Um, You know, he had his IT ops tools that would generate alerts. And then uh, he would basically use Workado to automate everything that's um, around now. I mean, for example, creating the the equivalent of, of an outage bridge. But, you know, now in the modern world, maybe with a Slack channel or something, populating all the experts on it, making sure that dashboards are automatically created so that people can just focus on troubleshooting and troubleshooting alone they don't need to think about the logistics around it so that's done with workado but i can now imagine with the power of ai then add it i mean it's even it's even going to be better do you have any uh, i'm just curious are, are incidents or maybe other it uh, examples you might want to share like what people what people you feel should be thinking about these days
1: Oh, so many use cases, you know, since we are on the topic of IT operations management, yes, I, I'll share a few examples of uh, use cases that we are working on. Um, you, you, know, you mentioned about uh, incident detection and diagnosis, right, and, in, you know, Slack and IRT channels. Um, if you go back to what I was saying earlier with um, tapping into uh, logs, metrics, traces, and events types of things. Um, one use case that we're actively looking at is this incident detection and diagnosis. Uh, You know, detection happens through anomaly detection, more classic uh, uh, statistical machine learning, of course, still, uh, because that's more amenable for, you know, classic machine learning, but the explanations part of it with copilots, that's one use case where we are actively working some with some vendor solutions that we are using, but we are also building things around um, the vendor products. Then, um, uh, the, the the diagnosis part of it incident resolution with automations and again powered by LLMs driving some of the orchestration and and um, suggestions for automations there uh, change management process change risk prediction right changes drive a lot of uh, incidents typically in in organizations if they're not tested and managed well so as uh, changes are happening how do we give enough Um, suggestions and enough information insights into what all things get impacted as a result and uh, as a a result of the change that you're making and what things to watch out for and test and and even providing uh, coding suggestions and code reviews and test cases generation and all of those things are good use cases for LLMs these days. And we are beginning to look at some of those use cases Incident summarization, root cause analysis, these are also pretty huge uh, use cases for LLMs. You can say, hey, did this incident happen before? If so, what were the symptoms? How much was the impact? What actions were taken that led to resolutions quickly? You know, all of those things you can get um, very quickly from, you know, matching with semantic embeddings. Uh, same thing for root cause analysis. What um, what caused it? What was it traced to? If you have good documentation from previous ones, or even pro, uh, you know, you can go uh, back in time and, as a post mortem analysis, go through all of your prior incidents and generate summaries and root cause analysis from it, uh, uh, and save them for harvesting for future, you know, leverage of uh, uh, incident diagnosis these are some of the things in it operations management side you can imagine use cases in the the it service management on the front end where you know callers are calling with um, problems in their uh, in, in with their systems be it uh, uh, you know connecting to vpn or something with the laptop or want to order peripherals in for many of those things you can automate with um, conversational virtual assistants with self help uh, that's a huge use case for LLMs and also supporting uh, help desk agents themselves by providing uh, you know, instructions for resol- resolving certain problems um, quickly. That's another use case for agent help kind of things you could imagine, you know, um, call transcription and summarization transcriptions, of course, happen with uh, speech to text types of technologies. Uh, but you can quickly summarize those and offer live agent help uh, or even live customer help while they're waiting online to talk to customer support agents. So many other use cases, employee onboarding and streamlining that and providing more personalized onboarding experience to new employees. Um, And you can imagine dozens of use cases in, in HR sales productivity supply chain the list goes on and on depending on how long you want me to go on we can talk about more use cases but there are so many use cases across all aspects of the enterprise that um, llms can really now make a huge difference and optimize and improve the efficiency and productivity
0: yeah it seems like a lot of these uh, you know what you explained in 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 you know a lot of detail on the it side Kind of can can be abstracted to business process. Yeah, I mean, the concept of an anomaly it can be in an IT system, but it could be in a business process. Maybe a anomalous order or anomalous supply chain event or something like that. Uh, I think I think you um, you talked about one specific thing when you went into more of a knowledge management around you know what incidents happened before and then just being aware of that and and leveraging you know. When something happens again, being 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 aware of that, I think the knowledge management area. This is just my personal opinion. That's gonna uh, gonna go through a big big revolution. Um, uh, that's
1: the first use case. In yeah, fact everybody is trying right with chat uh, mm-hmm. uh, chat bots and virtual assistants. Uh, it's, it's the most logical uh, use case to go after uh, because mm-hmm. there is all this knowledge that's been buried in an enterprise, and suddenly you can get to it. With um, retrieval augmented generation and with uh, vector databases, actually, for the first time, we have a good shot at uh, uh, addressing the enterprise search problem effectively, right, which has been a nagging problem for enterprises. We've never really solved that very well. But now with, you know, enterprise search, being able to leverage vector databases and semantic embeddings, it's... Looking good. We can get um, get to a lot of documents that previously we didn't, we weren't able to get to, and now sub- add those as inputs into your answer generation and finding the right answers um, for questions or conversation support. Um, suddenly, you can bring up uh, you can you can answer any questions and have a have a good uh, provide good conversational virtual assistant in enterprises. One should also, you know, I, I'll just uh, add one more point to that. Uh, a cautionary statement, though. These, while these use cases are now, um, you know, they're so um, uh, doable, and uh, we can get to all of the enterprise knowledge and you know build chatbots and such. They also start to surface interesting um, data governance problems that need to be tackled mm-hmm. first before you can deploy these generative AI solutions more broadly, because suddenly you can get data that you weren't able to get to before and that starts to expose likely documents that weren't properly protected in an enterprise because of which now everybody's able to see some sensitive data. So um, we we are going through some of those types of, um, you know, you know uh, steps where we 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 were going through how do we protect our data and have proper processes for data governance because now suddenly the search is good, and the uh, the chatbots are able to provide very good uh, responses to, to the questions on all kinds of data, including sensitive data that should have been protected correctly in the first place.
0: totally, totally It reminds me of my Splunk days. you know you 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 might get the idea when you when you have a log management uh, search engine, what kind of like a Splunk was. What we found in the log data, uh, you know, you can imagine there was a lot of data that should have never been there, like privacy-related data that then <clears throat> something like uh, Splunk actually surfaced mm-hmm. uh, to the to the top. But yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, hopefully, it uh, just gives us a new sense of responsibility, and it also, you know, at least you kind of brings it. At the top, to, to the, the top of our mind, yeah, the data to the decision. forefront that we have to do something about it. Correct. Right. Correct. But yeah, the, I, I think the potential is just phenomenal. So maybe one more personal experience I had, and this, this goes way back. So think of like, you know, right before the internet boom, like 99, uh, I worked at a strategy consulting firm, Booz Allen and Hamilton. And one of the things that we had back then that no, none of the other competitors had, the McKinsey's and Boston Consulting's and so on, we had a system called Knowledge Online. Mm-hmm. And it was basically a search engine. You know, that was the early day. This was before mm-hmm. Google, right? So there was a search engine uh, where we could search through anonymized uh, customer projects and what happened. And it, it really was a, a superpower. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if you have access now to hundreds and thousands of projects that happened before you... Uh, it just accelerates everything, and now I think with the LLMs, as you said, and uh, vector databases, and kind of a knowledge management architecture, I think we're we're reaching another level, which uh, which actually you don't even need to know well how to search for it. It's like you can you can really find things just so much easier. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, that, it's incredible.
1: That phrase "superpower" always reminds me: with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> the, the quote. Uh, From uh, I I guess Spider-Man movie, which resonates so uh, aptly now with uh, LLMs, uh, because these are kind of superpowers, and and so you know you have to use them responsibly, ethically, and uh, make and with proper data governance and correct amount accuracy, fairness, transparency, all of those things. uh, kind of come to the forefront, and they have to be properly addressed as as we think about more large scale deployments.
0: No, thank you. No, I I, I totally couldn't agree more. Um, let me ask you. So one maybe maybe to uh, to get to 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 closure here on the on the interview, but I'd be curious if you had some advice. To the listeners, to the audience sitting in here, um, talking about AI, talking about automation—be it within IT ops or be it in the larger context of business operations—do you have any words of wisdom? Like, what would you, uh, what would you tell people? What, uh, what should they do? What maybe? What should they not do? Uh, uh, maybe, what do you see most people not doing that they should be doing? Just curious.
1: Mm. Well, you know, I go back to the last point I made, which is that, you know, when when you really leverage them and harness them responsibly and uh, strategically with the proper guardrails, they can the techn- these technologies, really AI and automation technologies can empower organizations to achieve their, you know, business goals with high levels of efficiency, operations efficiencies, business productivity, um, i t and security productivity and 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 so on and you also improve improve employee productivity. So in terms of what to do, what not to do, um, I would say you know from my own experience, I can say that first of all have open mind and uh, pretty much go with the the idea that everything is now could potentially be transformed. So you have to rethink all the business processes and everything that's being done before. Just take a fresh look at it and see what could we do differently here? Is this something that we can do by leveraging the new wave of technologies with uh, generative AI or with automations? Um, You know, more likely than not, you probably can optimize and these technologies would really help take those processes to the next level so taking a fresh look at uh, everything that we are doing is 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 uh, is one thing that uh, that would really help to figure out which which of these you know are are something that that you can really tackle uh, once you have the idea of that then you can prioritize right i mean because you can't go after all of them then you can really sit down and prioritize with your teams as to uh, which ones will bring the most value for you know the, the investments that you can make and have a have a road of uh, which ones and how you would go about leveraging the technologies and then then i would say um, be mindful and aware that these technologies especially generative ai is evolving and so you know you have to be very dynamic and and you have to be able to adapt to changes that are happening because the models are changing new uh, models are coming up every day and, you know, do you work with smaller models? Do you work with um, uh, or customize them? They'll be, would they be cheaper? Would they be more economic for your use cases versus bigger models that you may have to pay? Um, and over time, costs will add up. So taking all of those things into account, you have to be, you know, very agile and adaptable. So ensure that you are doing proper proofs of concepts and pilots and proper testing, when you are deploying these transformative technologies, so that you have better control over the outcomes and also the process, um, it, it's important. Going through security, governance, compliance is critical. Otherwise, um, you know, you, you may rush to deploying something and then have to tra- trace back, or or um, uh, 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 worse yet, you know, land yourself in some kind of a, um, you know compliance issue or something like that so just be very agile know that the space is changing so build your your platforms and infrastructure for that iterative development and uh, and then learn from the, whatever is happening and and incorporate those learnings and move forward that's what i would say from my experience because the this so fast paced and changing so much so to sum it up i would say first be aware that everything around you, all the business processes are likely good candidates for some kind of transformation or the other. So reassess them, take a fresh look at them. And second thing is prioritize based on the investments and based on the outcomes that you're likely to get and the amount of, you know, changes that that will result in. And third thing is, you know, know that the technology is changing so fast. And so you have to have flexible architectures that will allow you to adapt and change. And in doing so, ensure that you are being cautious and testing well, compliant, and taking various things into account, such as cost economics and other things. So those would be my three um, suggestions for considering, you know, LLMs and generative AI and automation types of technologies and enterprises.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Really uh, love it, to be honest. So I'm not sure if you realize, but I'm sitting here and, you know, for every... Uh, one of these podcast interviews kind of my my idea and my mission is to kind of like distill one little nugget of uh because we're doing 26 of them so i'm hoping i've got 26 nuggets that together will really help people move forward in this in this new world uh but i'm not sure if you have read the book that vj our ceo has written the new automation mindset um it mirrors like i mean uh very well what you just articulated right? so so because it, uh, it's perfect because that i think that would be my nugget here i mean i think you said it in your own words and that's perfect but i think you know what what vj put in the book was he talked about the growth mindset right be open there, things will be different it might not be the same process anymore right it you you might have to rethink everything um you know there's the element about the process mindset which i think you're you know there's a lot of things that come to mind uh I would completely agree with you that, you, you you know, everyone doing this has probably a bigger spotlight on them now uh, because things, you know, there's more data accessible and so on. You want to really make sure the governance is right. But then the the last element is what we talk about is the scale mindset of how do we scale that out in a governed way? Mm. Uh, because I do believe with that, what you talked about, the agile mindset and the iterations and so on, I don't think that this can happen just within a few people in IT. Like if you think about business processes, right? It's got to be inclusive. It's got to include the people doing it today, uh, more business-oriented people, of course, also IT developers, but it's got to be a, I think Gartner uses that term fusion team. And I think that's, you know, just like we, we do agile development in software anyway, right? Where we're used to that, but I'm not sure everybody in IT Around the world, does that? Uh, I think a lot of people are still in their water uh, waterfall kind of uh, worlds, and I, I do think these LLMs and so on—they're probably and and the new automation ways—they're gonna. Um, I think IT organizations need to adapt to a much mm-hmm. more agile mm-hmm. uh, approach. So uh, you know, really, really, listen. Really enjoyed talking to you. There's probably lots of other things we we could talk about. I want to thank you for for spending the time here uh with us i'm sure the audience probably has many many more questions uh but it's uh very i mean it's exciting to have you uh, uh here on the on the podcast and I'm really curious maybe we can do another check-in in six months maybe the world will be completely <laughs> different yet again Yeah, who so knows? <laughs> we'll
1: be on the leaderboard by then for you know the for the llm <laughs> models yeah marcus it's been a pleasure being on your podcast and um and, uh, you know, kind of reminiscing through the, the times when, you know, we uh, looks like you were also, you know, working on similar types of things in the, in the BPM world. Uh, and, you know, kind of how thinking about how, what we were working on back then and how things have evolved uh, to the present day times. So um, thanks for, you know, some of the, the thoughtful questions uh, that made me kind of think about, you know, those times as well and connect the dots from the work that was done back then to now. And also thanks to, yeah, I, I was at a panel, I think maybe a month or two ago, and this book was uh, given right. to me as a gift and it's, uh, I enjoyed reading it and it's a good uh, overview of, uh, uh, you know, the space and, and uh, you know, how to think about automation. So um, I enjoyed reading the book and enjoyed the conversation with you. Thank you. I hope your listeners will find it valuable.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rama. Uh, once again, I'm super excited and, and, and good luck at uh, NVIDIA. You guys are obviously uh, really critical to this new uh, revolution that's going on here. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's The New Automation Mindset, where AI automation and integration come together. If you want to learn more about the key topics we've covered in the show, you can find them in the book, The New Automation Mindset, by our Workado CEO, Vijay Tella. Also, leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's conversations. And don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. I'll see you next time.